Welcome to Talking Beyond Business, the podcast that explores the intersection of sustainability, corporate responsibility, and business success. Join your host, Chris Quinn, as he discusses with leading experts from Bearing Point and beyond their vision and solutions to some of the most meaningful business challenges of our time, including equity and representation, corporate citizenship, sustainability, and how businesses can operate effectively, yet still commit to a greater good. Welcome to today's podcast, where we're tackling the pressing topic of corporate responsibility in the face of climate change. We're joined by Laurence Prinz from Bearing Point and Daniel Mazaret from the UN Global Compact Network Germany to discuss strategies, challenges and the benefits of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Get ready for an enlightening conversation on the role businesses play in our collective journey towards a more sustainable future. Welcome to you both. Laurence, could you briefly introduce yourself and your role within Bearing Point? Yes, of course. And thanks so much for having us. Um, So a little bit about myself. I originally actually come from the international development sector, where I worked in strategy consulting with NGOs, foundations and for-profits. And we worked on various sustainability topics. Um, Things that were included were, for instance, circular economy, human rights or education. And I've now been with Bearing Point since about two years working in management consulting, where on the one hand, I offer IT and project management support to clients. But on the other hand, I work now since about half a year as the project lead for our internal Emission Zero initiative, which works towards setting and reaching our science-based targets. Excellent. Thanks a lot for that. And Daniel, it's great to have you here too. Could you briefly explain your role and provide us with a brief overview of your work within the field of corporate climate management. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, with pleasure. I lead the field of environment and climate of the UN Global Compact Network Germany. Just to get it into the picture, the UN Global Compact is a voluntary business initiative and the platform of, of the UN for responsible business. It's based on 10 universal principles, and we focus on the fields of environment, climate, human and labor, and anti-corruption. And we aim at the integration of ESG criteria in the investment and decision-making of companies. So as its local German network, the UNGCD supports the achievements of this field in our local context. And in the field of climate management specifically, uh, this includes elements Um, knowledge and skills to accelerate progress towards setting science-based emission reduction targets aligned with the 1.5 degree pathway as is stated in the Paris Agreement. We do this through different capacity building and dialogue instruments, for example, helping companies to learn about the basics of climate action, engage in applying specific topics of the field or and exchange between peers. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, it's clear we've definitely got the right guests for today. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Laurence, from your perspective, do businesses fully grasp the enormity of the challenge with regards to climate change? And is inaction really an option for them? It's it's actually quite a difficult question to answer because it depends on, on of course, various factors. Um, the one thing that we have is, of course, the nature of the business. So, for instance, the transportation company with a very large carbon footprint will likely have different emission targets, but also challenges than a less carbon intensive company. 
But there's also different things such as the awareness of individuals, right? So you're dealing with junior employees all the way to the C-suite and the extent to which they buy in to the, the idea or the, the topic of climate change and climate action will then obviously impact the extent to which it is tackled in the business. Um, but beyond that, of course, there's also external factors uh, that go beyond the corporate perspective. So we have social and cultural issues, for instance, on how someone was raised, uh, to what extent climate change, for instance, plays a role in their, in their private lives. But we also have other things like political factors, which pretty much have then the, the top-down approach of, of impacting businesses um, and forcing them basically into action. But let me try to put this into a bit of a perspective and maybe try to also make it more relatable to, to those listening to us. Because in recent decades, there have been various environmental disasters or extreme weather conditions. So one example that we're currently experiencing and actually even has made the news this week again is, is that we're seeing across Europe and other parts of the world new record-breaking high temperatures that are basically leading to heat waves and wildfires. At the same time, however, we're also experiencing what seems to be the complete opposite. Um, so the other spectrum of the extreme, which is heavy rains and floods that are occurring, for instance, in Germany and Italy, places that used to not have these kind of, of struggles or challenges. And these extreme weather conditions actually pose very, very serious risks. And, and this is why pretty much inaction is not an option. And, and everything that we're seeing can to a certain extent be linked back to the amount of greenhouse gas emissions um, that are currently in the atmosphere. So the more greenhouse gas emissions are emitted into our atmosphere due to human activity, the more we actually then trap heat within that atmosphere, which then leads to a warming of the planet, a rising sea levels, increased land degradation, and many, many other factors that are all interlinked. So what we're actually witnessing is that some of the effects are becoming more frequent and we're seeing them like through the heat waves, but others are happening so slowly that they actually end up concealing the urgency for many to act. Yeah, let me jump in here, Laurence. Uh, thank you, because the cause-effect uh, chain that you describe is actually based on scientific research. I mean, it highlights the fact that our human economic activity is influencing the climate quite a lot. And this scientific community, not last the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change from United Nations, is therefore one of the most driving factors for governments to implement climate regulation or companies to set themselves climate goals based on these scientific findings. So we push, we see this uh, push towards science-based climate targets as we for ourselves uh, promote with the Science-Based Targets Initiative, SPTI. And this is actually interesting that you say that because that's exactly the case for Bearing Point as well, right? And it's pretty much the reason why we have committed to at least setting ourselves some near-term science-based targets that are in line with SPTI's um, recommendations. And that all feeds back then what, what, to what you mentioned earlier, which is aligning with the 2015 Paris Agreement and really making sure that we keep the warming of our planet to 1.5 degrees Celsius above, let's be also very clear here, about above 1990 levels. Um, so really looking back at what, what our footprint has been over the last decades. And this is then also pretty much when, when we at Bearing Point decided that we need to introduce a new initiative, which is the Emission Zero Initiative, um, as a means to help Bearing Point through this process, right? So this doesn't just involve 
uh, target setting at the firm-wide level, but also making sure that we break it down to, to country-specific targets. And that's something that's, of course, very important to us because, because we work in, in about 20 countries worldwide that are all faced as well with very different internal and external factors that then ultimately will impact the extent to which, to which we can act and, and actually reduce our emissions. So it's an enormous problem then, backed by science and, you know, what we're witnessing uh, latterly. Daniel, what other factors are businesses like Bearing Point faced with? Are there other corporate climate management drivers that we haven't mentioned? Well, yes. So alongside this scientific push that we just described, no, I would say there are some other three levels that we should consider. So it's the political one, the economical one, and the, the analysis of risk factors. So if you look on the political or regulatory side, frameworks that are emerging from the scientific findings are increasingly putting companies under pressure to act, right? So right now we have maybe over 2,000 climate management guidelines worldwide, which is quite a bit and shows the case. And one of the biggest changes might be in the EU through rising and upcoming disclosure requirements. For example, the CSRD, right? The Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive um, will probably enter into full effect by 2027 and it obliges companies to disclose their action on climate and other environmental issues to quite some extent. But it, it doesn't stop there. So there's a EU, EU taxonomy. The goal is to actively steer investments and other financial flows towards the more sustainable activities, which include climate change. And then we have the draft CSDD, which would, the, would be the European supply chain due diligence law, which aims at making companies accountable to actions, environmental issues within the value chain. So it, it goes quite deep. And I, I will stop my, my numbering of political side there, but there is more to come. And that also leads us over to the economic factors. Because of this the disclosure criteria, climate management is becoming a primary preliminary condition for various client relationships. For example, clients downstream your values chain are asking for additional information, such as a product carbon footprints, to be actually able to disclose it in their own reports. And then um, that makes it quite hard for some companies, or let's say challenging to say, because that's what the correct term is. But it doesn't stop there on the economical factors. So we have innovations, climate-friendly innovations, increase the pressure on companies to follow the competition on one side. But on the other side, it really gives us an opportunity to save costs due to the reduced use of resources or by reducing energy consumption uh, strictly as that. I would say don't forget about the attractiveness for the employer to skilled employees, right? So if you have a real... Um, climate management in place, I think especially the the new generations highly value it and prefer working for somebody who's doing climate action than for somebody who's not doing it. And um, I mentioned risk management before. So if you look into uh, internal risk management as a push factor for companies, you will see that there are factors that are directly linked to what I said before, the economical risk, the legal risk because of the disclosure requirements, and obviously reputational risk as for workers and uh, skilled employments that who, who which company you want to work with, right? 
And I can actually jump in here as well because this risk management aspect is is particularly important to us, especially at Bearing Point, because it's something that we that we're really faced with and that we're dealing with as well. Um, we work with clients that have actually certain expectations about sustainability and even to a certain extent request to see our sustainability ratings, our environmental ratings, our diversity ratings, and make this a part of their request for proposals. So not meeting these is of course then a reputational risk, but also it can have a, a huge impact on our profitability um, because it could be that, that clients don't deem us sustainable enough to work with them. So um, we do have that, profit, that profitability risk and that reputational risk, but um, as Daniel already mentioned, there's also that, that legal risk, right? So as a business, we're, we're of course confronted with legal obligations that come through, through national or international regulations like the CSRD that was mentioned um, earlier. And this is actually where, where Daniel and the Climate Ambition Accelerator of the UNGC come in. So the CAA is then basically the six-month program, as was mentioned already. And it's pretty much designed to then help companies like Bearing Point to improve their skills and make sure that they have what they need to accelerate their progress towards setting science-based emission reduction targets. And for us, it's pretty much a great opportunity because you're not only able to have um, the space that you need to discuss what some of these key requirements are and what some of the challenges are, but you're pretty much having this group of, of businesses that come together from various sectors. Um, and I mean, honestly, everything that you can imagine is pretty much represented there. So that kind of offers the opportunity to not only just improve your knowledge base, but also make sure that you have the right people at the right place to then basically discuss your issues with subject matter experts and make sure that you design science-based targets that are relevant to your organization and to your environment. So Laurence, there's a lot going on there and your, your role at Bearing Point you described earlier sounds like it might be quite involved. What kind of challenges have you faced with dealing with all of these factors? I mean, I'm going to be obvious, I'm quite honest. There's there's a lot of challenges, right? It is it is new to everyone. I mean, the, the overarching challenge pretty much is that this is it's not a one time thing. Um, we pretty much need to make sure that we set up a system where we can integrate our business frameworks and our sustainability topics together and um, really make sure that that carbon reduction becomes a core fiber of who we are as an organization. Apart from this overarching, pretty, pretty damning um, challenge, we, of course, also have other internal challenges. And one of those is, for instance, the data management side. Emission reduction involves a lot of carbon accounting. And there's a reason why, why accounting is, is in that name, because you're basically dealing with a lot of different emission sources. So you need to look at travel emissions, IT emissions, office emissions, um, pretty much anything that comes in the day-to-day -day business. And you need to consider how that will impact your overall carbon footprint. The other one is, is data collection as part of this carbon accounting challenge, because you obviously then also have a lot of different data sources that differ not just from office to office, but also from source to source. Um, and that is, is a never ending story and, and will always be a challenge um, to make sure that you get what, the data that you need. The second pretty much big stream is the change management screen, um, stream, because you need to ensure that you are actually implementing new measures and that you have clear communication of the targets all within the company to make sure that you're actually encouraging change from within. And as a company that has pretty much 75% of our emissions coming from business travel, for example, one of our big country challenges is how do we reduce business travel emissions 
and become less carbon intensive. And this differs a lot because on the Netherlands, for instance, you have a great train network, which is obviously um, very low carbon intensive. But on the other hand, we also have offices in the US where you pretty much need to travel by plane because there's no, no other relevant option. And so here we then basically are tackling questions around how and where are we willing to concede in terms of price, travel time, client relations. Um, so those are just some of the many challenges that we're, <laughs> we're facing. Okay, thank you for that. And that's the bearing point perspective, but there's many other companies out there, Daniel, that you have dealt with. Uh, what have you seen with them and, and in some of the other sectors? Yeah, well, Laurence always already set up a good overview of existing challenges and you can transpose them probably one-to-one to other companies. What I see in my work is a set of inter- interrelated challenges uh, companies are confronted with. And um, just to make this clear, I think we must take these challenges and the concerns company have with them seriously. So on one side, we have reporting efforts and legal obligations that proliferated in recent years. And it's an immense task to for a company to see where to begin and how to meet public and legal requirements, right? So for example, supplier engagement programs will not only be the norm for big companies, but various smaller companies are also having to, or are being forced to, to start a new, uh, their own program and to show their work and efforts in the supply chain. If you look at the double materiality that is uh, being introduced by the CSRD, is one huge challenge and then this double materiality means that we have to analyze what is the risk of our own company or risk and opportunities that um, the environment poses on us, but also what does my company do on the environment and society, so what effects does that have? And this is a huge analytical challenge that we really must uh, undertake. Um, Afterwards, the communicational challenge, right? So you you have the risk of wrong communication. On an internal level, if I, as myself, uh, state that my company is uh, climate neutral, which is a publicity uh, tool, and suddenly I might find myself with... um, with legal cases for misguiding publicity. So I have to take it very seriously on that one. And uh, if you take it to the external level of the communication, I would say the predominant discourse right now that climate action is contrary to economical well-being is something that we really have to work on to uh, correct climate to, to say that correct climate action is actually a competitive advantage. Well, and if you look at that and uh, you see the challenges, you can, I think, easily understand that there's an implementation gap between ambition and action in self. Uh, in other words, we must overcome the current limitation factor that's putting substance behind climate action, because there's a huge discrepancy between climate transition plans that are uh, being disclosed or start, uh, being started to be disclosed right now, and really the advanced transition readiness that is, uh, that is ongoing. So how do companies really do um, apply their climate action to be successful, right, to really have an effect on, on, on climate change? So there's clearly a bit of a mountain to climb there. And some listeners might feel a bit intimidated by it. But while 
there are challenges. There are also benefits beyond environmental preservation. Daniel, could you elaborate on these and the perspective of businesses? And do you have any examples of companies that that you've worked with that you can share or organizations? Um, yeah, of course, uh, with pleasure. So in my work with my with the companies, we see that climate action can actually help the reduction of costs. For example, the rising of conventional energy costs versus renewable energy self-supply in, in the example of companies that have power purchase agreements or own renewable capaci- capacities in the recent energy crisis in, in Europe, right? And then you have also the reduction of risk on a physical and regular regulatory the level. I mean, Laurence just stated them as a key element for bearing point before. If you look into future sustainability and viability as early movers, uh, in Germany, we denominate this with Zukunftsfähigkeit. Um, I would not be sure how to translate that into English. These are companies that think forward and uh, use the transformation as to secure future markets. For example, uh, Orsted, uh, a Danish company, which is, I would say, actually the standard example for a successful uh, transformation, went f- switched from fossil fuel to be a renewable energy company uh, straight through. Or if you take um, the, the Deutsche Post, they have quite some ambitious transformation plans to achieve net zero emission targets. So it is a way to go forward. It can be a strategical um, planning for the uh, for the companies itself. And that makes it also because new commercial opportunities are on their way. Products, investments can come in. Uh, I mean, there are new business fields that grow, uh, they, that open up. I recently talked to a company that used um, it's acquired knowledge of the voluntary carbon market to, on the one side, offer the service of a, a voluntary carbon market portfolio analysis to other companies, to partnering companies, not even clients. So it was like, a, or not traditional clients, but opening up to new clients and um, using these this knowledge also to finance its own energy projects. Um, and finally, let's not dismiss that opportunities arise in a company's access to finance. So I stated the EU taxonomy before, which is the a way to actively steer investments and other financial flows towards more sustainable activities. So if you get in early, I mean, you have access to these financial streams that uh, banks and other uh, funds and everything are eagerly looking for. Great. Well, thanks. That is encouraging. Laurence, how do these benefits resonate with what you are doing at Bearing Point? What kind of advantages have you seen or tracked? I mean, it, it resonates quite a bit, actually, because uh, we pretty much began thinking of our emission reduction journey a few years ago and were then quickly impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, which, of course, as you can imagine, had a massive impact on our business travel, which is our main emission source. So our emissions actually ended up being reduced dramatically over the year of 2020 and uh, even well into 2021. And this pretty much then led us to also introduce or even identify new ways of working, right? So in the meantime, because we couldn't do our normal business travel, we had to find alternatives um, and introduce new things that were also cost reduction for the business, of course, but also improved work-life balance for employees. 
so remote mo remote working and different uh, different new ways ways of working basically and um this then basically offers a great opportunity or great potential to to use this momentum and keep that going right so keeping the conversation going making sure that we continue to raise awareness and also continue to offer these these types of solutions that were actually created in the wake of the the covid-19 pandemic but could actually have beneficial um, results for not just the employees and the business, but also then in terms of emission reduction. Um, so interestingly enough, this, this large challenge actually then ended up presenting quite a few benefits or opportunities that could then later um, turn into, into benefits. It sounds like a case of transformation through necessity. And, and when the world, companies, people are, are faced with that kind of situation, it often, often does lead to benefits that can be taken to the future. And you're clearly both very knowledgeable and are living this subject day in, day out. So I thought to conclude our discussion, it'd be really nice to take from each of you some of the key learnings that you had that you can pass on to our listeners. Daniel, can I start with you, please? Well, it will not surprise since it's one of the main tasks of my field. I will recommend a company to implement a corporate climate strategy. This will help your company achieve necessary guidance in how to handle the climate change itself. So it will realize or will help you realize what influence my company has on the climate and how we should handle challenges and risks. And um, I think it's important from the starting point, starting point that the company develops an own vision for its climate strategy and it starts from the question what it wants to achieve with its actions and not just follow a variety of copied actions blindly because it, there's no one size fits all, right? So we have some recipes that can work, but it, they always have to be adapted. And on this journey, a materiality assessment is a good start. That is to say, where are my greenhouse gas emission hotspots? Uh, once identified, how can I integrate the analysis of potential trade-offs and levers to achieve emission reductions into my business plan? So if we start from there and if we integrate the sense of urgency from from our side and from all com uh, into all company levels, this will help to get the substance between uh, behind climate action and not focus on the hurdle hurdles, but also have a forward-looking business plan. Um, I mean, the list can continue, right? So we have to implement metrics to make it measurable and result-orientated. We have to build uh, climate concerns into uh, supplier contracts. But my main advice in general is really doesn't matter where you are on your voyage, on your trip to implement a corporate climate strategy. The important thing is even if you don't have the data, the ancestral part is start. It's better to start with estimates and incomplete data than not start at all. Fantastic. Thanks for that. And Laurence? Yeah, you're not going to be surprised, but I agree with everything that Daniel said. Um, so perhaps I can offer a bit more of an operational perspective um, from us as, as, an, as an organization. I suppose my, my biggest piece of advice is start early, communicate clearly and get everyone on board. I mean, a key aspect uh, to actually setting these types of science-based targets is to really make sure that you have especially upper level buy-in. 
because this topic needs to be thoroughly communicated across the entire organization. And this does not just mean setting some update calls where you kind of inform people of, of what's been going on, but really just get into the, the basics of, of things, right? Express, explaining why we need to do it, going through some of the successes and the role that also every single individual can actually play in making sure that we achieve our targets as an organization. Um, and one way that we actually try to build awareness at Bearing Point is through our general communication approach, but also on top of that through new ideas like interactive climate frisks. So these are pretty much workshops where employees can learn about the basics of climate change that's pretty much in an environment that just makes it more relatable to them as an individual, but also puts it into the context of, of their business that they're working for and generally also on, on more of a global context, which is a very fun workshop as well. So it's not, not very dry and people just really get into it. But yeah, the, the second part that I mentioned was the buy-in and that's it's very, very important because you need good buy-in to actually introduce change. Um, climate action really does involve changing or expanding on the ways that things have been done thus far. And buy-in and the willingness to change can be the very, very fine line that actually then separates tokenistic behavior. So saying, for instance, one thing, but doing another, which is also then very often um, referred to as greenwashing. Um, and that can separate those kinds of organizations from others that actually follow through and then walk the walk, right? So the introduction of science-based targets, which also come with some very serious reporting requirements, as well as the introduction of directives like the CSRD are pretty much key approaches that help to hold businesses accountable and really make sure that, that true action is being taken. And of course, while businesses are not the only ones that can, that can really make an impact on our, our current climate challenges, they of course continue to be one of the main significant players that are actually able to introduce systemic changes that will then benefit all of us on the on the corporate perspective, but also in our personal lives and um, for the wider society as well. Brilliant, thank you so much. So for, from the conversation we've had today, it seems that really this is no longer a nice to have, it's something that absolutely must get done for everyone's benefit, for the environment's benefit, for the business's benefit, and for the population's benefit. So thank you both so much for your for your knowledge. You clearly know a lot and really for those practical tips at the end. Hopefully that and this conversation in general will inspire everyone that's listening to, uh, if they haven't already, start to walk the walk, uh, but if in the midst of it to, to help gather pace and get momentum going. Listeners, thank you to you, to Daniel, Laurence, thanks to you too. And stay tuned for more interesting global topics from the Beyond Business podcast.